Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor-in-chief critic, joined by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large, coming to you from my office in New York, which is a first. So it's not usually, sometimes we've done this in hotel rooms, we've sat down in your office in LA, so it's nice to have you on my turf for a while. Welcome. I'm kicking your desk. (laughs) (laughs) It's a real thing. And so is New York, as you you often remember when you come back here and and feel like a New Yorker again. So how's that going? I love it. Well, first of all, um, I got a big kick out of a couple things. I went to see Knives Out, like right as soon as I got into the city, right in Times Square. And it was in that giant AMC cinema that goes all the way up to the top and you get vertigo looking out on the street. And it's a really clever, surreptitiously uh, surprising movie. It it starts out like, you know, oh, this is just sort of standard issue, you know, whodunit stuff. And he's, he's kind of throwing a few laughs in there and letting the actors chew it up a bit. And then... You get into some good, juicy twists. Yeah, I was surprised by that movie. I saw it in Toronto, and I was like, I've never been a big whodunit guy. And it certainly does operate within the confines of that genre. But the surprise of it, obviously, is that it's also very contemporary in terms of its commentary. In and a I did way, appreciate it's like that. Parasite. Well, it, it, that's it, an interesting I'm, point. I'm making a class point warfare, about class rich warfare, rich families. That's right. And that's who's true. the smartest one of them all is the character played by Anna de Armas, uh, the, who's at the center of it. Well, it's interesting. It says, and this is something we'll talk about, which is New York Film Festival. But I went to a party for Parasite the other night, and I was talking to one of the people involved with that movie because just that day there had been a news reporting about. Mutant, mutant pigs in uh, in Korea. It was like exactly the plot of Okja. Yeah, so I was telling them about that. I was like, what did you guys make of that story? And they were saying, you know, he always seems to anticipate real things that are happening in the world. There's some kind of wealthy family, uh, like school cheating scandal, kind of similar to what we've had over here that's going on in Korea that sounds kind of similar to Parasite to some extent. It's like people trying, conniving people trying to figure out how to climb through these hierarchies to get the results that are being denied them. And Knives Out's kind of taps into that, too, to some degree. I'll be curious to see how commercial a movie it is. I mean, obviously, Daniel Craig is fun. I think it's fun, and, and it's a great cast, and I don't see any reason why people won't flock to see it, partly because it'll give them a good time, and that's something we all need right now. But the other thing, just as long as you brought up Parasite, um, that's a movie that's been around since Cannes, and various people have caught up with it in various contexts since then, um, including uh, the Fall Film Festivals and most recently New York. But um, what I found out at the premiere in New York is that as much as it's over, I mean, in Los Angeles, as much as it's overhyped, it isn't overhyped. Everybody likes it. Yeah, in New York, it was. I have yet to uh, find someone uh, who really puts puts it down as anything disappointing at all, and that's remarkable. It's true. I mean, one of the things that Parasite is is showing you is that 
this is a filmmaker who already had a lot of respect for him going on for years, but he made a movie that I think invites a lot of people in. Some people may or may not have gone with all the wild swings of Okja, but they'd still think he's a he's a talented filmmaker. A lot of people liked Snowpiercer. But Snowpiercer, so that was well, that, something which, uh, that was a challenge, to but people. still, still a, a strange movie in in a lot of Loved ways. Loved it. But I mean, I, I'm always on board with that kind of kookiness, you know. I, I wouldn't say it was a perfect movie. This movie but, isn't kooky at all. Yeah, this, this movie, movie is, is more in grounded. Total control. There's some crazy surprises, and it's funny. but. Again, yeah, it's, it's entertaining just, yeah, while but it's it, serious. But it is, in some ways, it's a more grounded work. I mean, his earlier films were kind of like the Stu where it's really like you're following a couple characters through an unusual situation, and then he started to layer on more, you know, whether it's futuristic or sci-fi or whatever it is. But he's doing so. some Hitchcockian things, too, pulling you into rooting for these uh, criminals, really, who, who are willing to do violent things, and you don't know how far they're willing to go. It's, it, it's really uh, surprising at the end, the and denouement. Then, but I think the, the thing that has been really cool about Parasite, too, is, is that... It's not a movie. There are some movies that I think we see in one place and they play really well and they go somewhere else and they get like a somewhat different reaction, whether that's, I don't know, Joker or something else. And we don't need to re- go through Joker. We're not talking all about Joker. Yeah. I I'm just saying, as a point Eric of contrast, <laughs> we're, we're not getting, going, going to wade into that. But, you know, different films have different kinds of life cycles. And with Parasite, what's been kind of fascinating is that it's it's just pure positivity i mean every now and then i've talked to somebody who who wasn't over the moon about it they do exist but i guess it's going to do well commercially it's got to do well and then uh, tom bruggeman's working on the weekend preview right now and he's predicting pretty amazing numbers for it this weekend which is significant coming up theaters last weekend with pedro almodovar having the biggest foreign language these are the two movies that are going to break out for the whole fall and the reason for that is that they are established auteurs which is the just about the only foreign language uh thing that works reliably so basically, you have to be an auteur to counter the narrative that foreign language films, you know, it can't make money. But it, but it is also, I mean, in other ways, they've those also movies, gotten rave reviews and been <laughs> yeah, buzzed about at all the festivals and all, and all the Twitter traffic on these films is is nothing but positive. But in other ways, they're so different. So I think there is something kind of gratifying okay. about let's it. talk about that i haven't even read tom's story yet but i suspect that some of what he's going to be writing about is that the almodovar is going to appeal to the standard issue older art house audience that has been going to his films for years the upper west siders the the west siders in la as well and but the young people like crowd. this movie too to be fair and sure. I mean, i'd like to i'd like to think that's true I, i'd like to think this is going to really break out for him and antonio banderas has never been better and he could get nominated for Best Actor, although that category is getting very, very crowded, which brings up the Sony Pictures classics of it all. They do know how to handle a movie like this. They do know who those voters are. They got him nominated in 1989. And, you know, he talked to her and and Volver and all these films have have gone over the the line. But, all right, so now we're going to uh, look at Parasite, which has a potential to play to a much younger audience and a much wider audience. And that's why Tom is predicting some pretty big numbers for that one. But the the long-term sort of gulf between these movies that I think is worth looking at, because they are both also from an award standpoint foreign language films where the distributors want them to be seen as major contenders Absolutely. Beyond. So Banderas yeah, is a so. big campaign for Sony Pictures Classics and the people behind Parasite are going 
for Best Picture, Director. Um, Almodovar has a good chance for Director and Screenplay, so does Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, so that's but, fascinating. But then you have in Bong Joon-ho's case, and maybe in Almodovar's case too, production design, cinematography, editing. Uh, there's a lot that could happen there. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously there's, there's well, some and of those it's a ca- very international academy. Some of those ca- academies are very competitive too. But the but the thing about that, the international ca- academy thing, is, is also interesting to me because in the past we've we've seen seasons where people are worried that the academy in general is you know maybe there are too many people who have conservative tastes. They don't want to watch something that'll make them uncomfortable or whatever. And Parasite is the movie that has lots of violence towards the end it's it's a it's comparatively weirder that's why you wouldn't want so. to predict it for a win for best picture but all if you if i if you think about all the categories i just named if all of those people are nominating it possibly the crafts are not conservative the crafts are progressive and the crafts and are a story with that movie too right. so, so that's you have valuable. if you look at you can look at the academy as being split in, into various factions, the actors being the biggest, and then all the crafts are a, a large number, and then you have the more mainstream uh, categories like executives or publicists, uh, producers. You know, that's where you have to get everybody to get behind the movie that wins for best picture. Well, the enthusiasm certainly does seem like it's going to be consistent for both of those films so it'll be it's exciting that there's two very different foreign language films that are in contention this year and and last year we had cold war and roma yeah, so yeah. there's a precedent for yeah, it yeah yeah that's true and also very different but I, mean, I i like that they're different in in a completely different category of differences like these are two very auteur driven movies one of which is like an older filmmaker making this thing looking back on his life and yeah. the other is like a filmmaker in his prime, in a way, and I mean, it's also uh, you know got got a, got a gay love story in, in it, and and a, a lovely kiss. Uh, don't spoil too much. No, the kiss. There's is actually so good. a spoiler in the Pedro movie. That, I mean, it's interesting. Both Parasite and Pain and Glory have certain meticulous aspects in terms of the way they're structured. You kind of have to watch the movie to get what they're what they're really doing, and that's important too. It's like you have to see it. To know what it is, Joker. Again, not going to talk too much about it. But Eric. Joker, you know what it is just by looking at it, and I think there there is an interesting kind of distinction there. But in any case, uh, both Pain and Glory and Parasite also played at New York Film Festival and got a lot of buzz out. They of did there. really well there, and it's I think in general the festival has been a really good platform for a lot of films. I went last Friday to the centerpiece for Marriage Story. Obviously, that was sort of a homecoming for that movie. A New York you movie. You know, very New York-y. And I really enjoyed watching it again, honestly. I, it's also a good L.A. movie. It's true. Given it depends the, on whose side exactly, you're on. <laughs> given the fact that it's about a couple fighting over where their yes. kid is going to live. But at the end, towards the end of the movie, there's a lot of like very New York scene, like going going to Knickerbocker yeah, and yeah. singing song here. But, um, but I also, the first time I watched this movie by myself, which maybe that's what a lot of Netflix viewers will do. I don't know. But watching it with a crowd was really, really satisfying because... I can't wait to see it again. The way the crowd reacts to it, it was not part of my first experience with the movie. There's a lot of applause moments, not just the song everyone's talking about. There's a Laura Dern monologue towards the end that got some applause. And also just looking at the meticulous nature of the performances in this movie, everyone's talking about Adam Driver, and yeah, he's great. I think it's unfair to not 
take Scarlett's performance just as seriously. I think she's going to get nominated. And I think she's going to give Renee Zellager a run for her money. And the reason for that is... Judy's not good. Judy isn't as good as Marriage Story. Judy's running out of gas already. We'll see how long it lasts. And um, it's just that if you're in a movie that is going to be... uh, Let's say it has coattails. That helps someone like Scarlett Johansson. She's in the best movie. And she gives the best performance of her career. And she's been undervalued. She ha- People should recognize what a great actress she is. Well, they both have stories to tell. I think with Scarlett, you know, she always steps in it when she does interviews, at least from the perspective of... Politically know, our, correct. Yeah, she'll yes. say something and get her in trouble. And she's doing Black Widow, so who knows how available she is to do stuff for this movie. No, she's going to promote so the movie. She'll have to. But then, you know, the, the Renee Zellweger narrative, which they have to keep telling again and again, it's kind of this comeback thing and... You know, she really does a good job of singing in the well, movie. Well, let's see. Of course so, she does. But let's see. Great, she's wonderful. But... And, and she's right now she's the front runner. Uh, don't get me wrong. She is. Just but this is about where it's going to be at the end yeah. of, of the trajectory that it has to go on. It, that, it's all about that. And that's why you have so many movies opening late. They've got the Clint Eastwood movie now. The yeah, Richard Jewell there's movie. There's always another one. I mean, he's I, gonna I'm be, he's gonna be like, He's like going to be the new Manuel de Oliveira. Like he'll be making <laughs> movies for AFI. FS premieres at like a hundred, <laughs> and it's going to be another. One. The thing about I mean, you never underestimate Clint, but at the same time, he's not where he was ten years. I never ago. underestimate Scorsese or Spielberg. Like this time next year, we'll be anticipating West Side Story from Spielberg. And I don't you underestimate. Get, you got you got, but Clint. I don't know. I mean, it just feels it like he's sort of I flattened him out so much, and I enjoy his movies even when they're politically uh, not where I want to be. But um, I love him. I do. But um, I'm not saying, um, when I say I'm skeptical, I'm saying that it's going to be at the level of something that's going to play for the Academy. Right. I think the real unknowns we have left are things like Little Women. Search of Ronan. Maybe Queen and Slim. And Timothy Chalamet. So there's a few, there's a few kind of possibilities kind of floating out there, but it does feel like we kind of know what's uh, going on. So there's The Banker, which is the Apple movie with Samuel Jackson and Anthony Mackie. And um, there's also... uh, uh, bombshell, as you said, which is going to start to screen. So is Little Women. So is the banker. Yep, it's all it's all happening. Yep. at some point or another. It's just a real question of you know what at what level are these movies going to perform when it's already gotten pretty crowded. We do know that this weekend with New York Film Festival, Motherless Brooklyn will kind of get its last hurrah, I suppose. You know, it'll well, be... I hope not. It's getting uh, closing night at the festival, having already played Telluride. And it played well for audiences. Toronto did reviews, not go well for that movie. Mixed reviews me. for critics. Well, part of it was that it had already shot its wad in Telluride, and it was a, in a way, it was old news. It was a thin wad, though. I mean, it, if you really, it, it was not. They got a, standing ovations well, in Telluride. Because Ed was there, and there's a and lot of respect he, for him. And I, mean, I, and I interviewed him, and he is uh, an actor who um, put everything. Everything he had on this movie, he wrote it, he adapted the Jonathan Latham novel, he directed it. It's his second film as a director after Keeping the Faith. And, and it's not a disaster, it's just it underwhelming. It is a f- absolutely honorable, uh, noble, uh, you could call it a failure, I could call it uh, a movie that is asking a lot of the audience is what it well, is. I, I mean, I, I read it's the book. It's crammed I, I, with stuff. I, I read the book and I felt like on some level, he, he took sort of the, the more streamlined nature out of the book and tried to make this denser epic on gentrification and 
you know, I power don't think it's gentrification. I think what he's trying to well, get that's into part of the plot. is I mean, the Robert Moses yeah. um, throwing people out of neighborhoods, yeah. building well, that's, projects. That is what that not care. Gentrification is something that comes when people try to fix up neighborhoods and make them nicer. That's not what well, he was doing. Well, but it doing. ends up booting, booting he out booting minorities. booting a lot of people out they, of, so of their the, homes. I mean, theoretically, this is an interesting plot line. I think that it just kind of busies it, up the it movie. Gets, it, gets, it gets clogged up. It does. It, although some of the best stuff are some scenes with Alec Baldwin. So I'm sure they'll do. But there's they'll a whole play plot okay. with with Alec Baldwin's brother, played by Willem Dafoe, and then there's this group of in the book, the the group of people that this great character that and the, the problem. I think it's too bad because the central character that he's playing, Lionel Esrog, the guy with Tourette syndrome. Mm-hmm. Is wonderful. And well, he's and, really and good. He, in the, he did. In the I part. think he did a good job of, of sort of embodying the malady itself, which is obviously could turn into caricature very easily. It could have so been done really badly. It's just not complimented uh, by the film overall. Well, the I mean, film. Yeah, the film gets sprawling. The film meanders. Yeah. It, it's too much to take in. It's not the Chinatown he wanted to make. I mean, you could tell. I also don't. Yeah, like taking it from the 90s to the 50s is a question too, because then he brings up. He's trying to do Chinatown, really. Yeah. And um, and he and, he, and it, it's it's he was so ambitious. Look, I want to give him points for that. I want to clap my hands and say, "Go for it." it but you can't. I want to clap my hands and say go for it to Ang Lee with Gemini Man. Well, we could talk about Gemini Man. But that is, is, not is a, a case where you have a really I, honestly, bad movie. I struggled to make it through this movie because I just thought it was so poorly written. First and foremost, even it's a the high formulaic. Frame uh, Jerry Jerry Bruckheimer produced this movie, and that's what you need to know. Well, but the thing that's also weird about it is if you watch the trailer for Gemini Man, they kind of build up this whole situation where like Will Smith is chasing this guy, and then all of a sudden he realizes it's a young version of himself, and he's pointing the gun at the Fresh Prince. You know, there's that reveal in the trailer. The way it's revealed in the movie, there's not much of a surprise. By the time he even encounters the guy. We kind of know what that is. And I found that to be, you know, it's just like there was a lack of awe and strangeness to the premise that just doesn't get into what they're actually doing, creating a younger version of the character. I mean, Irishman did that better. Well, you, of course, of course, but Irishman is a different thing. The technology is different, but I, I mean, I'm not talking about the technology. I'm talking about how you use the technology. Yeah. And the point is, is that Martin Scorsese understood, A, he had a brilliant script by Steve Zalian, a really unassailable script. He had some of the greatest actors in the world. He knew what they could do. And he knew that if he could realistically make them look younger, they could play younger. And that was in service of the story he was trying to tell. This is a case where Ang Lee was so excited by the technology that he chased the technology using a studio and the resources that they were willing to apply to a commercial enterprise with Will Smith to chase this extraordinary breakthrough, except that it isn't. Well, it doesn't I, I, work. I actually think it doesn't work for, yeah, for a couple of reasons. I mean, obviously the high frame rate still just looks too hyper-real. Well, there are two different also, things going on. But the the digi- de-aging thing and the high frame but rate right, thing. But it's not really and the de-aging. high frame rate makes the de-aging more uh, difficult. And it isn't de-aging. It's not. It's, it's a digitally recreated. That's character. the problem. They had an actor, like an Andy Serkis-style thing, like the way they did with Planet of the Apes, and they, they like, they don't digitally... Do, it isn't mocap. Well, but no, it's not mocap, but there is an actor who played that 
physically was standing there. They shot some him. of the movements so, of that character are animated. Right, it's you a can mix. tell, but but the face, the, the emotion, some visual effects stuff. Yeah. Because the high frame rate, I saw it in one twenty, and I saw it in four D. And when you see that on a big screen, it is yeah. the clearest. Some of the vistas, some of the landscapes are gorgeous, yeah. where you get well, this, this is, extraordinary depth. There were two, and the there, underwater stuff is beautiful. The underwater stuff was okay. There were two instances where I thought I, I saw potential. One is a motorcycle chase scene yep. because when Will Smith from behind starts speeding up through an alley, there's so much clarity to it that you actually feel the intensity of going that fast in a new kind of way. So that I think is notable. People should consider, you know, could you do a wall-to-wall action movie with this frame rate and actually make it work? There's also some static shots. There's one shot of a boat on the water at night where you can see the stars and there's like a blue hue yep. on those. And it's just like every, like color and texture was crisp so i'm thinking like you could do something really slow and like painterly with this technology and perhaps that would be you know more but then in in that motor very same motorcycle chase there's a point where they flip off the bike and and the the characters gets closer to them closer to the face and you go that's not real and that's fake and that guy's twisting in a way that isn't human and and it's better when they have scenes like that in the dark and they have slow and they have slow-mo stuff too that's weird it's like why do that and then all of i mean the worst thing i can say about irishman and Gemini Man, and I'm afraid there's some other movies this this fall, like Ford v Ferrari, that fall in this category. Not to mention the uh, earlier in the year, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. These movies don't have really good, well written, well developed women characters in them. They just don't. Well, Marriage Story is a nice counterexample. Winstead, right? Winstead has to just be that character that they Mary created Elizabeth Winston. Now. yeah yeah that, no that, i know that sidekick character that has no reality at all right well that i mean that's a whole separate and it's not her fault cha- yeah i mean it's just there's and she does I mean, the action and she's she holds her own and i'm not faulting her in any way it's the writing will people go after the uh misguided gender politics of the lighthouse which has zero women in it that's okay it's utterly justified that way. <laughs> there's there's a mermaid where's the line here <laughs> a little mermaid <laughs> the, question, the question is if you add a woman then it's then it would be if, if the story calls for an irishman it, it's an open it, question it's yeah all right so um gemini man is is a see angley is a, a really good filmmaker he's a smart filmmaker and i i have loved so many of his films um, and this, this is not going to screw like him Hulk. over. This is one of those things where he's experimenting, and he's and well, Billy Lynn too. Hulk had more on the line because it's supposed to be a blockbuster franchise. This feels to me. I mean, I think the the budget was not cheap, but at the same time, it'll I think it'll it make was money. It's not going to. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a catastrophe. Will Smith is Will the biggest Smith star movie. in the world. It'll have, not, it'll have very is, little to do. You, with if the you're technology. a studio, you run the numbers. You're yeah. like, okay, Aang wants to do an experiment. Very Let's few people are going to see the, the the high frame. Yeah, rate so it's anyway. like whatever. They just see a crummy Will Smith action movie and they go home Actually, relatively happy. Actually, let's talk about that for one second. He's good in it. Will Smith himself. He's it's fine. one of the best performances he's done. He's very good. Will Smith. There's a, there's some. Angley is a good director in, in that in way. Recently, I mean, look, Aladdin made something like a billion dollars worldwide. No, he's having. I mean, a, he is in some ways more powerful he's than still, he's ever been. He's still a big star. I, yeah. I finally caught up with Aladdin on an airplane. Oh boy! And it was much better than I was expecting. It's pretty bad, Anne. Come on. <laughs> I thought it would be movie. unwatchable. I 
struggled with that one too. <laughs> and it's too, you know, I, I want Will Smith to be better than the, the, you know, in better projects because you're right. He is sort of like on his own wavelength, but there's a lot of actors like that where it's like you, you see them and you realize that like kind of, they are the auteur in a way like the, the filmmaking could be interesting, but really they just do their own thing. And that's, on another level altogether. I mean, you're right. Will Smith is good in this well, movie, I was but at the movie a, never you know, rises a show to and that. tell with with Angley and 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 Will Smith, and and you know, uh, I don't know how much of it is him blowing smoke or, and promoting his director, but um, I believe that that Angley pushed him uh, to give more than he usually does. Well, if anybody's going to do it, it's got to be a veteran filmmaker. It's just a question of how many of And I believe he's... that a Pedro Almodovar pushed Antonio Banderas to give more than he usually does. Because you do get used to being that guy who's yes. the movie star. Yeah. I was just, when you said that, I remembered how Antonio or Pedro Almodovar and uh, Will Smith were on the same can jury. And what the kind of <laughs> clash of like, when was Pedro Amorovar going to direct Will Smith? You know, that's the thing. It's like he's not taking risks on, on great auteurs. Like he will do an Ang Lee movie, but it's for this it's pulpy a, Jerry Bruckheimer very, thing, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, oh, well. Back to New York Film Festival, though, have you seen anything you really liked since you came to town? I saw the Agnes Varda movie last night, which is really um, what it is. What it is is something Super they charming. put together at the it. end of, of her life. Yeah. Um, and her daughter, Rosalie, spoke, and, it, and I was very moved. If you um, have no relationship to those films, the film no, you isn't going to change them. But... Um, and it reminded me of how much I loved Faces Places. And, and what about, you know, Cleo from 5 to 7? I mean, she uh, touches yeah, on all that the, stuff. I was into it. I, I, I went for it. But it is what it is. Is. It's her talking about yeah. her work yeah. and showing film clips. Well, she, it's a very, I think, a brilliantly conceived concept in terms of how to make a movie about somebody's work. And that, I mean, yes, she directed it, but really she was going around doing these master classes talking about it, her films and they recorded them and they add these other details i would suggest so. that you have having a lot of affection for her films will be uh taking you a long way in this case yeah the ending though i have to say that part is emotional that was good it, that was a good ending it really does feel like a, a farewell of sorts it was brilliant you know? yeah so i'm sure it'll do well for the whatever contained janice films kind of plan they have for this thing and you know they have the criterion channel now so it's like an entry point for rediscovering her films and then actually watching them, you know. But the great, so. I mean, the great thing about the, the the New York Film Festival is is just there are a lot of the um, Oscar submissions from foreign countries, like The Money Changer or Beanpole, and and I love the story that Eugene Hernandez told about um, Balagov, who's this 28 year old uh, director, who uh, this is the Russian submission for the Oscar, which has been playing the festivals and doing very well, um, and played well. But what happened here was that it was when it was first booked, they had nowhere near filled the house. And then all the reviews came out, all the raves came out from the press screenings, and they filled it up. I mean, I have to say that New York movie-going culture feels more vibrant and engaged than it has ever been. There are a lot I of mean, young people in the audience. Yeah, people go to movies here because there's really good programming. New York Film Festival is a distillation of that, but it's not an anomaly. I mean, you look at the Metrograph sells out things on every weekend, repertory screenings, film forums chugging along. And so people are talking good. about how good the programming is at BAM right now. Yeah, BAM's, Regina Duncan's gonna, done a great job. I mean, it, every one of these institutions realized that they had to be complementary to each other and serve their local 
audiences. I think it's something that, in some ways, in spite of all these conversations about the doom and gloom of the box office, New York is worth has a different at. culture, and New York uh, box office is, is is fine. The the the. Uh, I, if I were in L, if I were going to see Parasite this weekend, it would be fun to go to L.A. and see it at the Alamo and get the Bong Joon Ho brew. Yeah. And, uh, well, if, you, you if know, you're in New York, thing. you can go see the Alamo in the Brooklyn. Too. There you go. So I'm sure that'll be an experience too. Also because you know the CEO of Alamo is an owner of Neon, so I'm sure that there is a little bit of They're a symbiotic relationship Absolutely. there. Absolutely. So there's another New York thing that we both did. Museum of Modern Art. So you showed up right in town to get the walkthrough. I have to tell you, I went a couple when, weeks ago. How did ago. you get the tour? So, so Raj Roy, who we both know, he's the chief curator of film there. Um, I think I was the first person to get the film walkthrough. There had been a lot of other people who come through to see the general kind of layout, but... What I liked about, I mean, it was it was weird to be at this museum, which is much bigger. It's like forty thousand more square feet, which is stunning. There's so much more museum to walk through, and it's non-linear, so you can explore more. Those um, floors are huge. It's it's much bigger. And I kept walking and walking and walking and trying to get to the end of each floor, and it would go on for a it's while. It's a gamble because some people do want to be guided, which is what some of the architectural responses. You're been. on your own in but a way, you, but there's numbers that yeah. take you well, through. Well, so it was interesting for me. Because when I was there, I don't know about when you were there, but there, there weren't a lot of plaques up. Like, I went down and looked at the home movie installation, a, exhibition they have coming up, and nothing was identified. It was just a bunch of screens. So you kind of had to use your imagination a little bit. But I think we both latched on to one thing, which is that there's a lot of film content there now. What's great about so. it is that they're mixing all the different media up in the same air in, in different ways and to have video and photography and painting and sculpture and mixed media all around was a cool thing and of course the obvious thing is that it's more diverse there are more women painters there's more um, people from Chile or Ecuador or Africa mm -hmm. or China there are artists that I had never been introduced but to but they're before. still in the in the permanent collection and they're going to update the permanent collection every three months that's cool so that you're always going if you if you next time you come back to town you'll probably see a different moment i'm looking forward to it because the the permanent collection um of, if you go up to the fifth floor you'll see all your old favorites you know the yeah. the starry night and and the sleeping gypsy and and the salvador dolly you know all that stuff is there it's just the paul clay and the, the yeah. impressionists but, but but it but it's got other stuff interspersed in with it well when you go with see starry night you don't even have to. You don't even have to move your feet. You can just turn your head to the right when you're looking at Starry Night, and you see the room that's early film and photography. Right. So, and then you go to another room, and it's like, oh, there's man with a movie camera. <laughs> I love the room with playtime in a, in a yeah. all about modernist architecture. I mean, that's brilliant. And then and you then know? you have Man Ray right in there with with mm -hmm. some of his stuff. The it's it's stuff. really really great. Um, yeah. I I approve a hundred percent. And also I think it's just in terms of you know we, we were talking earlier about like declining box office and how these how movies are performing now and it's what, what's I think heartening to see at the museum is that it's reminding you that all this stuff exists on a continuum and whatever happens commercially with the movies, there's certainly an art form that's constantly in evolution with everything else. So, you know, if the business changes, that doesn't mean the art form is, is going away. It just seems unlikely that things don't just die. You know, painting didn't die. Movies aren't necessarily going to die. Depending on how they get out there, that's an interesting challenge. But there's certainly an argument to be made that, you know, the technology will continue to be out there and expressed in whatever way 
you know, somebody can figure out how to express it. So there's an optimistic spin to all the stuff that I'm more than welcome to, I'm more than glad to embrace because... So what's uh, the opening date, October 21st? Exactly. So a couple of weeks and uh, we'll see how it goes. But they also... We were lucky to see it without a lot of crowds. Let I know. Me put it it's going to be a scene. But they also have their film programming coming up, the Contender series, which is going to have The Irishman and a bunch of other major fall movies. So movie people will have a reason to go over there. It'll be interesting to see what happens on that front. So, all right. And I have to tell you, I still haven't watched the report. I don't know if you picked up on that, but I did hear from somebody about trying to make sure I see it. So it might not be this year's version of The Wife quite yet. So (laughs) to be continued on that front, but next week, hopefully I'll have an update for you on that front. Good to see you in person, Eric. Let's enjoy New York. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs> 